We pray for God's blessing upon the reading of the word here. I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Um, in Romans 8, there's a lot of territory in the chapter. You, you heard a part of it earlier today um, with the reminder that um, we cannot be separated from the love of God. We're going to pick up at verse 26 this morning, Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Now, we're going to read 26 through 30, and you'll probably hear um, a more familiar verse of uh, verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That is a good and meaningful verse. But part of what we're doing throughout this Half-Truths series is also making sure that, that we read in full context, which includes some verses ahead of time about the ways in which God's Spirit is at work, even in the midst of suffering. Part of how we read the Bible well and how we learn to interpret Scripture with Scripture is, is by reading the context, by paying attention to what else is going on. Today we'll begin um, the first of two weeks on the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Um, this is from our Half-Truths series, um, which is a book by Adam Hamilton. And one thing just to know, you know, are, are we studying Hamilton's book or the Bible? Well, yes, and here's the order. We are studying the Bible in conversation with Adam Hamilton. We're studying the Bible in conversation with Adam Hamilton. And today especially, there's just one thing that, you know, you don't read a book that you agree with everything on. There's one thing that I really need to take Adam Hamilton to task with, and I learned this week I have a mutual friend of his, so I really hope I get to meet him someday um, to bother him with what you might hear a little bit later. But as a little bit of a primer for that, pay attention for the ways in which God is at work in and through you. And also, keep an ear open for a word that I'm going to emphasize a little bit, and the word is predestined. So, with those reminders, as we um, just poke at the phrase, everything happens for a reason, I invite you to pray with me before the reading of God's word. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And the scriptures show us the way by teaching us about you. They teach us the truth as we understand more and more and appreciate you more and more. And the scriptures give us the words of life that we may come to know you. And also, Lord, today especially, as we look at this phrase, everything happens for a reason, we pray that by studying your written word, that you may equip us with words of life as well, that we may speak life into our communities that we may encourage the downtrodden, and that you may fill us with love and empathy for all who suffering, who, for all who suffer, whatever their sufferings may be called. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Romans 8, beginning at verse 26, going through verse 30, and at the end I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and if you are thankful for the word of the Lord this day, then just respond by saying, thanks be to God. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts 
knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, of all of the phrases in this book, I would say that everything happens for a reason is the most common one that, that we hear, the most common one that we say. And just a reminder, this is a constructive series. So even as maybe we poke at a phrase, this is not meant to make us feel guilty um, about maybe times we've said something that maybe wasn't as fitting as it could have been. This is a time to pay attention and learn. A phrase that we use um, in our uh, church's learning change group is, there is no shame, only learning. And the only shame would be to not learn. Everything happens for a reason. You know, we search for reason. We need meaning in life. And especially when, when tragedy strikes, we, we want to put our emphasis somewhere. And if Um, When an event happens, we experience thoughts and feelings, and we want to ascribe and make meaning for our own closure to make sense of the world. This is the same thing that can lead us to say, the devil made me do it, or the devil did that, or to say, well, everything happens for a reason. Now, when it's not a case of tragedy, sometimes there are all those little things that just happen that seem to work out really, really well. And we might say, everything happens for a reason. Or might it suffice us to say just, that worked out well, thanks be to God. I consider the fact, even this week, that that Caitlin and I had talked and she was planning on going to Iowa for just, just it worked well to visit family. And then we expected to see great grandma Grace and grandpa Dick, who's in hospice, and her dad, who continues his cancer journey. And we made plans. There's some, it's Northwestern's homecoming, which I'm just still really proud of myself that uh, there's two people from North Holland who are at Northwestern. How many are at Cal? I'm sorry, Pastor Audrey. That was mean. Um, oh, and Aaron. I just offended the whole front row on this side. Um, but nonetheless, we, we make this plan. And then Caitlin, on Wednesday night, we're packing the van. She's going to leave Thursday with the kids. And then Wednesday night, we get the call that great-grandma Grace has passed away. That, in some ways, just works out really well for us, that Caitlin was already going to be there, and now the funeral is part of the itinerary of her visit. And we might say, everything happens for a reason. The fact that in hearing that um, Marsha was leaving two weeks ago when we talked said, There's, I don't know anyone. This will be just a, a whole group of strangers. And then to find someone else from the previous trip is going. Thanks be to God. There are those moments where we should be quick to say, thank you, God, for the way that God maybe orchestrated something or brought about something that was outside of our control. 
But part of my caution with this phrase is that the phrase, everything happens for a reason, usually doesn't get ascribed to the good. It is our response that we use to the bad when we don't know what to say. When tragedy strikes, when things happen that seem outside of our control, we say, everything happens for a reason. As if that's maybe just the best words that we have to come up with. We don't know what else to say, but we feel like we need to say something. And, and I also just note that in those words, sometimes there is, there is a hope and a longing of this is hard. This is not fair. This is not right. This is not God's will for our lives. And, and we almost say everything happens for a reason as, as a plea to God to say, give me some reason. Show me, show me some reason for why this happened. Because we need that. We need that reason. We need that meaning to make. But I would also note that sometimes saying everything happens for a reason can be harmful. Sometimes it's just not the right phrase. In discussing, and I've enjoyed these discussions greatly with people as we've gone through this book, but between this phrase and previous times, I have had seven specific times where at the death of a person, a loved one, or the loss of a child, a frustration that has been expressed to me is when people have said, everything happens for a reason. The pain that is felt is great enough on its own. And then to be told that you lost your child or this car accident happened, everything happens for a reason. Those words not only ring hollow, but can actually be a bit hurtful. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes it's just the thing that we want to say because we don't know what else to say. And to pull a page out of my dad's book, because the, the Bill DeVries wisdom echoes often in my mind, um, in, in some slightly different words, my dad said, I'd rather say, oh shoot, I don't have anything to say, than to open my mouth and say, oh shoot, that was the wrong thing to say. Or maybe you've heard the, the more catchy version of that. Better to remain silent and have people assume you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I think everything happens for a reason is one of the phrases in that playbook. And I think actually when, when we observe it a little bit, we get to the reality that we might say it, we might hear it, but we don't actually believe it. Consider on uh, page 18, if we extend the logic of everything, every single thing happens for a reason, we might come to these conclusions. God meant for my team to win or lose the World Series. Or this afternoon, who means for, does God mean for the Lions to win or maybe blow it? Um, we don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. We also can apply that logic to say, imagine saying this with everything happens for a reason in your playbook. Honey, I'm sorry I forgot your birthday or our anniversary. It must have been the will of God. Everything happens for a reason, right? Lapses in memory, 
Everything, when we say everything happens for a reason, sometimes we're actually just pointing to things that have a very simple and basic cause and effect. And the reason, someone made a decision. Someone failed to make a decision. If your car breaks down, I used this example last week, if your car breaks down and someone says, wow, everything happens for a reason, wonder what went wrong, and you say, well, I haven't changed my oil in 12,000 miles, everything happens for a reason, and sometimes the reason is our poor choices. But we can get into deeper theological territory. Do we say everything happens for a reason when we remember the Holocaust or any of our armed conflicts? Does God want children to die in school shootings? Is that what everything happens for a reason mean? When we say everything happens for a reason, we mean everything is orchestrated by God. And friends, where that fails to deliver is that God does not inflict tragedy. And the church's best work in all of this is not to offer people reasons, but to be near, to offer empathy and love. The book of Job contains one of the best examples of the church's care when Job's friends simply come and sit with him after he's lost everything, and they just sit with him in his pain. Where they fail is when they move on to say, well, everything happens for a reason, so there must be some reason that all this happened to you. And Job says no. Friends, sometimes we just do not have a reason for why things happen. And maybe someday it'll be one of our questions in heaven, but I suspect at that point we won't really be so focused on it anymore. When there are no words, when there is no reason, we want there to be one. We would not say that when someone is a victim of assault, that God inflicted their attacker to do that to them. It's wrong, it's false, it's patently untrue. So where do we find our way in all of this? Where do we find our way when a drunk driver strikes a vehicle and someone dies? That's cause and effect of poor decisions. I will not say that God inflicted that pain on someone. Adam Hamilton uses the example of, he says, if I, um, if I cheated on my spouse and my spouse and children experience pain from that, that's not God inflicting pain on them. I think we understand where this falls short. And when it does fall short, when we poke at the ways in which this phrase falls short, I know it cuts really close to home. And Pastor Audrey and I and Aaron and, Aaron and I are just standing in that space of we've carried that with you and you've carried that with each other. But friends, we need some hope, but it can't come from hollow phrases that, that lack empathy or, or almost seem like we're writing off someone's pain or that we're just ascribing to God why something horrible and mindless happened. And that's where we turn back to Scripture. We turn back to Romans 8, 26. In the same way, 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans or when there are no words. I, tell you, I find that to be a tremendous verse of hope. That when I don't know what to say, when, when I don't even know how to pray for someone, all I can think of is that, that person and their face and their name, and, that, and that's all I've got, and, and I don't even know God. What, I don't even know how to pray. We're reminded that the Holy Spirit will help us in that weakness, and the Spirit will intercede for us through our wordless groans. Because sometimes we just don't have the words, but God knows that. And he who searches our hearts, God who searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. In accordance with the will of God. Friends, some things that happen, we don't know how to pray because we're not sure what God's will for that situation is or was or why it even happened. And yet our interceding with the Holy Spirit will be prayers in accordance with the will of God. When there's no words, don't worry. I think of funeral visitation today for Roger Van Isle and for Grace Wassner in Hills, Minnesota. And I think of how maybe it is just simpler and better to say, I'm sorry. Not everything happens for a reason. It must have been her time. Because I would, I would it's easy to say about 102-year-old Grandma Grace, great-Grandma Grace, it was her time. But I can't extend the same logic to the death of a child. And I don't think Scripture intends us to. At Jan Nienheis' fun funeral visitation, I didn't hear everything, obviously, but I spent some time in the Reach Out Center. And what I did keep hearing was, I'm sorry, and really appreciated him, really appreciated her. We can't fix things with our words, but we can be mindful of people's pain with them. To say I'm sorry, not that it's our fault, but to say I'm sorry that this is happening. There is a lot of pain in the world. We're scared to not have any words, but sometimes forcing words will just be unhelpful. Less is more. And I know some of the most painful moments in these last five years, I can't tell you everything that people have said to me, but I can tell you that some of the most meaningful things that happened were people just saying, I'm really sorry, can I give you a hug? Reach for handshakes, ask for hugs. That's a good rule to follow. And then when we pray, it's okay to say, God, I can't find any reason for this. And I don't think you meant for it to be this way. There's ways in which the devil is at work, and we covered that over the last two weeks. There's ways in which God is at work. And in Romans 8, God is at work by the Holy Spirit in our praying. Now, we are often inspired by stories of people who went through tremendous pain and loss and grief, and they came out resilient on the other side with a deeper, stronger faith. 
And I will say that that is a journey that the church should participate in and alongside of everyone in all of the right ways, in word, thought, and deed, and sometimes just in deed and thought when there's just no good words. But those stories of resilience don't mean that it turns into everything happens for reason. It's not, a, it's not an A-B logic conclusion. But rather, we don't want to dismiss some of the ways in which God is and has been at work. Pay attention to how God is at work and know full well, just a rule number two of pastoral care is don't assume that you know someone's pain. Everything happens for a reason is, is followed shortly by I know exactly how you feel in terms of phrases that just aren't helpful, that just don't cut it. But how is God at work in the Holy Spirit, in presence, in, in the church, offering extensions of, of love and compassion, keeping an eye out for ways in which God is at work, even knowing someone might not be ready to see that right away? But the time may just come when you can. Walk along and look back and see all the ways in which God was present through pain. And sometimes, the reason why something happened doesn't even happen in our lifetime if there is a reason that we ever discern at all. We are, by nature, uh, somewhat um, single-minded creatures. Some things that happen in our lifetime won't get a good answer. A very good friend of my dad's prayed and prayed and prayed for his son to come back to the Lord. And it did happen. His son did come back to the Lord and became very involved in their church, but it didn't happen in that man's lifetime. We don't always get the answers we want, but if we can't have answers, where do we trust instead? Now, in the book, Adam Hamilton lays out uh, two dichotomies of we either come into fatal determinism or we come into kind of a, uh, like, well, everything's just going to happen, so we just distance ourselves completely. We don't worry about any responsibility of any of our actions because everything we do is willed to us by God. Now, here's my bone to pick with our good friend Adam Hamilton. On page 29, he's talking about different ways in which we understand God at work. This is some theological territory. And he writes, one corollary to this view and the one for which John Calvin, the forerunner of the Reformed tradition, John Calvin is especially known, is a particular focus of theological determinism called predestination. Predestination means that God has predetermined everything that happens, that life unfolds according to a script God has written before any of us are born. Okay, that's the quote. That is patently untrue of John Calvin. And this just drives me crazy when people uh, kind of set up a straw man argument. He says that John Calvin came up with this idea of predestination. Did you catch Romans 8.29? For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Calvin didn't come up with predestination. The apostle Paul did in Romans 8. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, there it is again. How could anyone miss this? He also called, and those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. 
God does do predestining work, but his predestining work is conforming us to the image of Jesus. When God calls us from before all time, it is a call and invitation for us on this earth to learn more and more what it is to be like Jesus, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. And the comfort in predestination is that your salvation is far more dependent on God than it is on you. That God's, God's scope of grace and love is inescapable. And that we can mess up a lot of things in this life. One of my dad's favorite phrases is, to err is human, to really mess things up requires a computer. I'll let that sink in. We can't mess this up. When, when God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be made like him, to be saved by him, to be called by him, to be equipped by him, to be sent by him, to be agents of love and reconciliation and redemption in this earth, you can't mess that up. You can do better, and you can do less better at times, but our salvation is locked in God's sovereign and covenant hands. And God's covenant promise is that he will hold our hand even when we try to let go of his. This is predestination. Now, this is just a fault that I find with um, a different theological tradition, but it goes on to say that um, John Wesley came up with the idea of prevenient grace. Prevenient grace actually is something that Wesley did come up with. That's his way of kind of sidestepping election. But friends, predestination did not come from John Calvin. And when people tell you, I don't believe in predestination, just have them read that verse after the one in Romans we really like. Furthermore, there is actually a note in this chapter on Romans 8.28. And I agree completely with what is said about it. So Adam Hamilton quotes Romans 8.28. We know that God works to all, together, all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. He says, this is Adam Hamilton interpreting Romans 8, he says that no matter what happens, however bad it may be, God will somehow bring good out of the situation for those who love him. God will even force evil to accomplish good. Friends, our God is not one who inflicts pain on us or willingly or inspiredly puts tragedy in front of us. But our God is one who redeems. God will step into our places of pain and redeem it. We see this most clearly on the cross because our God is one of reconciliation and redemption. And the most inspiring stories that we hear of people who resiliently faced tragedy and came out stronger for it on the other side are those that can testify to God's redeeming power and work. But that does not mean that it was easy or that we would ask to experience said tragedies or that God inflicts that upon us. There are times where we as people can choose evil, can choose to inflict harm. And when we do that, 
We cannot put that on God any more than we can say, well, the devil made me do it. We cannot remove ourselves, nor should we, nor should we excuse our neighbor of personal responsibility. And God will work for the good of all things. And sometimes that might not even happen in our lifetime, and so we can't just wrap it all up neat and nice with a bow and say that people's deepest pains were happening for a reason. But to close, to close with a quote on suffering, this comes from um, Ray Firestone, who is a part of the congregation uh, that Hamilton's a part of. And after the uh, death of his wife in a car accident, later on, this was the quotation that was found to be helpful. Pay attention for what we ascribe to God, both in terms of the pain or not ascribing God the pain, and what we ascribe to God with the redemptive process. Suffering is not God's desire for us, but it occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given to teach us something, but through it, we may learn. Suffering is not given to punish us, but sometimes it is the consequences of our sin or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because our faith is weak, but through it, our faith may be strengthened. God does not depend on human suffering to achieve his purposes, but sometimes through suffering, his purposes are achieved. Suffering can destroy us, or it can add meaning to our life. Friends, give thanks to God for the moments where things work out really, really well. For things outside of your control that come into place that might make us say, that happened for a reason and I'm thankful. Give thanks to God. And when we walk through pain and suffering, don't distance yourself from it by saying it happened for a reason. But pay attention for God's redeeming work, even in the midst of tragedy. And take our part as a church in being, maybe not everything happens for a reason that we can know. Loss of life and tragedy. But our reason to be the church is the love of Jesus Christ. And when we show up, when we comfort people, when we just say, I'm sorry, when we prepare meals or help people get to doctor's appointments, when we offer some of the simple tasks of just childcare or whatever the case may be, that happens for a reason. And that happens because those are the moments when the church is being faithful to the love of Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's pray together.